All right. Good morning, St. Paul's. I'm sorry that I'm not with you in the flesh today. Don't worry. This isn't because of suspicion of COVID. In fact, I had my first dose of Moderna a little over two weeks ago. Uh, I just am out of town this week and I wasn't able to find a guest preacher. So this is the solution. And I'll warn you, this message is going to be a little bit more succinct than my messages usually are. Maybe that's a good thing, um, but uh, I had a little bit less time than usual to get ready. So last week, we started a new sermon series called After Easter, where we're looking at the events immediately after the day of Jesus's resurrection. The book of Acts tells us that Jesus was actually on earth in his resurrected body for 40 days. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of information about what happened during those 40 days, but we do know about a few events. And last week, we looked at the one that's probably the most famous, uh, the story of Doubting Thomas. That was the second time that Jesus appeared to the disciples post-resurrection. This week, we're looking at Jesus's third post-resurrection appearance to his disciples, which I'm going to call Breakfast on the Beach or if you prefer the first breakfast after the last supper. Now, this is a story that I think can be very healing for us if we're carrying guilt and shame. And that's because this story is all about Peter being restored after his denial of Jesus. You probably remember that on the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And he did this even though Jesus warned him that he would do it. And when Jesus warned him, Peter swore up and down that he would never deny Jesus, that he would rather die than do that. But of course, Peter did actually disown Jesus three times. And when he realized what he had done, uh, the text tells us that he wept bitterly, which means, of course, that he was filled with shame. So Peter has what I call, I've got no excuse guilt. You know, sometimes we feel guilt and we have an excuse that helps to take some of the pressure off, relieves us a little bit, helps us feel more justified in our actions. But Peter doesn't really have that. He was warned he'd do a bad thing. He swore he wouldn't do the bad thing. And then he did the bad thing. So keep all that in mind as we read this story, that Peter has this, I've got no excuse guilt. And Jesus is obviously fully aware of that. All right, so let's look at the passage. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 21. John 21. Okay, now remember, the angel at the empty tomb had told the women to tell the disciples to go to Galilee and to wait for Jesus. And this story that we're about to read fits well with that because we're told that the disciples go fishing at the Sea of Tiberias, which is right, it's the same thing as the Sea of Galilee, basically. So apparently they were waiting in Galilee for Jesus to show up again, um, as the women told them to. And Peter decided to go fishing. He was a fisherman uh, by trade, and uh, maybe he just got bored, 
maybe they needed food, whatever the case, he decides to go fishing. Six of the disciples go with him and this is what happens. So John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. Okay, so we'll stop here for a moment. So notice, despite any guilt Peter may still be carrying, he is more excited to see Jesus than he is ashamed. His, uh, his longing to see his friend and rabbi eclipses that shame and guilt that he feels. Uh, so he jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore. And I just want us to note that that is totally in keeping with Peter's character throughout the Gospels. Peter is passionate. He's impulsive. He's a little reckless. Um, he is the kind of guy who wears his heart on his sleeve, and that is consistent in all four Gospels. You know, um, you can probably remember uh, when the guards come to arrest Jesus, Peter is the one who is ready to pick up the sword and, and uh, fight, um, despite the fact that that's not what Jesus wanted him to do. Um, but Peter's impulsive. He's passionate. Um, when Jesus was washing all the disciples' feet, Peter was the one who was like, oh, you can't do this, Lord. You know, this is, this is beneath you to wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. And then when Jesus uh, corrects him and, and says, well, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter says, oh, well, then don't just wash my feet, wash my whole body. So again, there's Peter, uh, very uh, passionate, expressive. Um, Peter was also the one disciple who stepped out of the, the boat and tried to walk on water with Jesus and actually succeeded uh, for a brief period of time. So shouldn't be surprising to us that Peter would be the one who would jump out of the boat and swim to get to Jesus first. And what I, I hear this story telling us or what I see it showing us is that even if we've messed up, this is the right way to behave. Run toward Jesus. A lot of the time when we've messed up, we do the opposite. We try to hide from God um, we, we leave fellowship with other believers. Um, we, we run in the other direction. 
And the story is reminding us, you know, don't let your shame drive you in the other direction. Move toward God, not away. He will welcome you. Jesus, as we will see, Jesus does not give Peter the cold shoulder, not at all. Now, before we read the next part of the passage, I want us to notice a detail from the night that Peter denies Jesus. It's a detail that's easy to miss, and I think it's significant. Okay, if you flip back in your Bible just a few pages, uh, go to chapter 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 18. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. And then just skip down a few verses to verse 25. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, you are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. In all three of um, the times that Peter denies knowing Jesus, it's in this same setting, standing around the fire. So I want us to notice that detail about the fire. Uh, the Greek word that's used for fire here is anthrakia. And it means a heap of burning coals. So let's let's notice. Okay, Jesus didn't or Peter denied Jesus on a cold night while he was warming himself around an anthrakia. Now that word anthrakia, it only appears twice in all of the New Testament. It occurs here at Peter's denial, and then it occurs a few chapters later in today's passage. So let's go back to where we left off, chapter 21. Chapter 21, uh, Peter has jumped out of the boat. He swam toward Jesus, and this is what he sees when he gets to the beach. Verse 9, um, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So there it is, once again, an anthrakia, the only other time in the New Testament that that word appears. Now, maybe that's just a coincidence, but I don't think so. Because what's going to happen at this Anthrakia is going to perfectly parallel what happened at the last Anthrakia. So here's what I imagined that this was like for Peter. Okay, he sees Jesus on the shore and he's thrilled. Any guilt or shame that he's carrying is eclipsed by this desire to be near his friend and rabbi, right? <clears throat> so he impulsively throws himself out of the boat and swims to get to Jesus as fast as he can. He gets to the shore, thrilled to be with Jesus, but then he sees the heap of burning coals, the anthrakia, and it takes him back to that terrible night. And the guilt and the shame starts to flood back to him. You know, usually there are certain things that trigger our feelings of guilt and shame. Uh, things that bring back memories of things we regret, uh, certain sights, certain smells, certain words. And I bet that that anthrakia would have been that kind of trigger for Peter. Seeing that heap of coals would take him right back to that night. And if you're not convinced, look at what happens in verse 15. Okay, skip ahead a little bit. 
When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So three times Jesus asked the same question and three times Peter answers. That should sound familiar, right? A few chapters ago, Peter stood by an anthrakia and three times he denied knowing Jesus. And now he's by an anthrakia with Jesus and three times he professes his love for him. And I'm sure this was an awkward moment for Peter, right? That fire taking Peter back to the shame of that night. And then on top of that, you have Jesus repeatedly asking the same question, which I'm sure made it abundantly clear to Peter that Jesus intended to recall that night, that embarrassing night. So when Jesus asks Peter a third time, he can hardly stand it, right? It says that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? All that emotion, all that guilt is coming back. But Jesus is not doing this to shame Peter. It's important for us to recognize that. He's doing this to restore him. You know, it's as if Jesus is saying, let's not ignore this guilt that you're carrying, Peter. Let's not stuff it down. Let's not pretend that that terrible night didn't happen. Let's deal with it. And let's do what's necessary to move beyond it. What Jesus is basically doing here is he's recreating that night and he's giving Peter an opportunity to get it right. He's giving Peter an opportunity to formally reject his denial and then to be set free from this guilt and shame that he's carrying. It's really a very gracious thing that Jesus is doing for Peter. I'm sure it was painful in the moment uh, but ultimately, it's a, it's a beautiful and gracious thing. Now, let's notice, after every time Peter affirms his love for Jesus, Jesus says, feed my sheep, or something similar to that. Take care of my lambs, or take care of my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. <clears throat> now, what does that mean? Well, sheep throughout the Bible, uh, throughout the New Testament at least, are compared to Jesus's followers, right? Um, so when Jesus says, feed my sheep, it's like he's saying, take care of my people, love my followers, minister to them, wash their feet, show them the kind of grace that I'm showing to you now. I hear in those words, a little bit of a talk is cheap kind of attitude. It's kind of like Jesus is saying, well, you denied me earlier, Peter. Now you're saying you love me. Let's not get too focused on words here. What's really going to show the state of your heart 
is how you treat my people. And I'm calling you to minister to them. So what Jesus is doing here is he's reaffirming Peter's calling all over again. The original plan was for Peter to help build Jesus's church. And Peter's failure hasn't changed that. That's still what Jesus wants him to do. Now, I do want to clarify something. I realize that some church leaders who have really abused their position might try to use this passage to argue that, hey, God still wants me to be a leader despite all my sins. And I just want us to recognize that this passage should not be abused to support that attitude, especially a reckless form of that, that kind of attitude. Jesus called Peter to feed his sheep. So if a leader has exhibited a pattern of abusing the sheep, then the best way that they can feed the sheep is by stepping down, right? It's not going to help sustain the sheep spiritually if an abusive leader never has to suffer any consequences, uh, never has to express their remorse by actually removing themselves, uh, at least for a significant period of time. So let's recognize that, okay? The call is to feed the sheep. And there are some cases where uh, leaders have stepped out of line, have misused their authority and power. And uh, in some of those cases, the wisest thing is, for the leaders to do to feed the sheep is to step down from, from the authority. However, okay, what we should all hear in this passage, whether we are leaders or not, is that God has good work for us to do regardless of our past mistakes. God has good work for us to do regardless of past mistakes. God does not give up on us. He still calls us to follow him. Every day we wake up, every breath that we are given is another opportunity to turn toward God. It is another opportunity to follow Christ and to love our neighbors. Now we skipped over a few verses. Uh, let's go back and look at them. Verse 11. <clears throat> Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So part of this whole scene is this miraculous catch of fish. The disciples have been fishing all night, but they hadn't caught anything. But then Jesus shows up and they instantly catch 153 big fish. Now you might be wondering, okay, well, is there any significance to that number, 153? When I read through this passage uh, this week for the first time, well, that was one of my big questions. Like, I want to figure out, is there any significance to that number? Well, I can tell you pretty confidently that if there is any significance to it, no one seems to be able to figure out what it is. 
there's no consensus on what the symbolic meaning of that number might be. And uh, all the proposals I read sounded pretty far-fetched, so I'm not even going to bother suggesting them. So I'm inclined to think that the number is not meant to be taken symbolically, that this is just an honest accounting of how many fish were caught. Um, and we should see this specific number as adding to the genuineness of the account because there's no reason for this number to be here unless it's just actually what happened, that they counted all the fish and it was 153. Now, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe uh, John really wants us to uh, see some meaning in that number that we're missing. But um, like I said, if there's any deeper meaning, uh, nobody seems to be sure what it is. If you have any ideas, I'm curious to hear what they are. Email me this week, ryan at stpaulswired.org, and let me know. We'd be very interested to hear. But uh, I think this is just adding to the authenticity of the account. <clears throat> so, but even though I don't think we're supposed to read any symbolism into that number, I do think that the Holy Spirit intends for us to see all of this as representing more than just fish. <laughs> Uh, because when Jesus first called the, the disciples to, to follow him, at least the disciples who were fishermen, he said, now I'm going to make you fishers of men. Which meant, now you will draw people into the kingdom of God. Now you will help lure people into a relationship with God through Jesus. So I think what happens in this account foreshadows what's going to happen throughout history. Because as fishers of men, the disciples are going to catch a huge number of people, right? Through their ministries, people all over the world are going to come to know and follow Jesus. But the disciples are not going to be able to achieve this in their own strength, just like in this story, right? The disciples weren't catching anything on their own. They were out all night, couldn't catch a thing. But then Jesus shows up and he guides them. Right? He tells them where and when to let down the nets. And then they have this huge catch. So I hear in this story a reminder for us. If any ministry is going to be effective, we have to be completely dependent on Christ. Christ is ultimately the one who fills the nets. So any ministry that is not focused on him and on following his leading isn't going to do well. Even if it looks successful on the outside, it's not actually doing well unless Christ is at the center of it, unless everyone is doing what they can to follow his lead. Um, now, recognizing that fact, that requires a lot of humility we have a tendency to want to believe that we can achieve things on our strength, through our gifting, through our abilities. So that can be hard for us. But it's also freeing because if our job is really to point people to Christ and, and uh, not to point people to ourselves, then it's possible for screw-ups like Peter to still be part of that process. 
So this morning, I want you to be encouraged. That is my, my main hope. If you are carrying guilt and shame, be like Peter. Don't move away from Christ, move toward him. Even if you've got that, I've got no excuse, guilt that you're carrying. Because Christ wants to help you process that guilt. He wants to forgive you. And he wants to equip you and empower you to build his kingdom. He wants you to participate in the renewing of the world and in luring people towards relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for anyone who might be carrying guilt and shame today. Lord, I pray that in this story, uh, you would inspire them to move towards you, uh, to feel that freedom like Peter, to jump out of the boat and run shamelessly towards you. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, reveal to all of us um, how we can feed your lambs, how we can help minister to your people, Lord. You give each of us spiritual gifts, and regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, you want to equip us and empower us in some way to bless the body of Christ, to bless your church. And so, Lord, help us to know how exactly it is that you want us to do that, how exactly you it is that you want us to let down the nets, and when you want us to let down the nets, Lord, and where, um, metaphorically speaking, Lord. Um, give us wisdom encourage us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your grace, the grace that we see demonstrated to Peter. We thank you that that grace is available to us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, sorry again, I couldn't be with you in person, um, but I will see you next Sunday. So.